Okay, here we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mike LaPond from Symphony X and Mike LaPond's Silent Assassins. And you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Mike, this is Bruce Moore and my partner Chris. We had a 10:30 interview with you. Yes, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Staying safe up. Well, you're in Jersey, right? Yes, I'm in New Jersey. Staying safe up there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're kind of starting to turn things around over here, so uh, you know, everybody's starting to get in a better mood and you know, wanting to get out a little bit more, so. Awesome. So I interrupted before uh, Chris could say hello. Sorry, Chris. That's okay. Chris always interrupts. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. This single sounds killer. Oh, my God. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a longtime fan, and actually we have a, a mutual friend in common. Uh, Rory Romano is one of my great buddies. Oh, yeah. Rory, uh, yes. Tour managed Symphony X a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, yeah, we all love him, man. He's a great guy. Him and I started out at the uh, at Soundtrack New York as uh, engineers and interns back in like late '80s. I've known him forever. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's still in Florida. Is that where you guys are? No, I'm in. Uh, well, we're both in Virginia. I'm in Richmond, and Chris is in Northern Virginia. Oh, cool. Excellent. Technology. Yes. Makes things easier sometimes. A lot of times, especially in this kind of mess. Yes, absolutely. Chris, you want to start? Yeah, so it looks like you um, postponed the release of your record until June. Is that a hard decision to make for you? Uh, you know, it was a decision that um, the record company made. Uh, Silver Lining Music at the UK, and uh, I think it was just based on, um, well obviously it had to do with the virus, but um, I guess uh, in a technical sense it was based on uh, distribution channels and uh, and all that kind of thing, you know, are these companies going to be actively distributing it to stores or whatever, and um, so, I mean, for me, I... You know, I assume that they know much more than I do when it comes to releasing a record. So, um, whatever they wanted to do was fine with me. You know, inside, you know, I'm like, oh man, I've been working on this thing for like two years. I want, I just want to get it out. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, I totally get it. So, but uh, so that's cool. Um, were you planning to do a tour after this was done, or? Or has that all been put on hold, or was there no tour planned? Yeah, you know, we were still just kind of devising a plan of what to do uh, before all this went down. But, um, yeah, I mean, once um, once everything is cool again, um, yeah, we would love to uh, go out and do some touring. Um, so far, uh, the Silent Assassin's We've only done one show, and uh, this was around Christmas time of 2018, 
And um, it was fun. You know, it was a local show here in the uh, New York, New Jersey area. And, um, you know, we had a great time. The place was packed. And uh, it was definitely a fun night. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, a tour would be great. You know, preferably uh, either uh, an opening slot with a, a bigger band of the same style or, um, you know, a, a festival, you know, where you have like a good built-in audience and get a lot of uh, media and press there. Right. Nice. Geek. And one thing I noticed on this record is the bass sound was, uh, it was perfect. Um, if you don't mind me asking, was this just like a, a DI box or were you using an amp or how did you kind of achieve that tone? Yeah, well, you know, my uh, guy who mixed it, Eric Rachel, had some really great ideas for the bass sound. You know, the, uh, you know, the idea was to even back it up a little more is, you know, I hear so many metal albums where you can't even hear the bass, you know, it's just treated more like a, a frequency rather than an actual instrument, unfortunately, on many albums. So, yeah. you know, on, since I'm a bass player, I, I, uh, I, you know, on my albums, I wanted the bass to be very prominent, you know, kind of like an Iron Maiden record, you know. Right. Um, so, um, the way I recorded it was, um, I recorded it basically just DI. And, um, I started with that. And I also had a, a a second track, which was a little more of a dirtier sound. So, but when it got to the mixing process, um, my engineer decided that he had he had some sort of a uh, an Ampeg plug-in, like a dirty Ampeg plug-in. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did that, but what he also did which I thought made a big difference is he put like a, a shut. So now it's, so now it's like you couldn't hear it, but it made it sound so big and fat because it has that sub bass on there. And then it had also that dirty, uh, trebly kind of sound. And it really made it sound really, really cool and really, really prominent. So, uh, you know, I'm really, really happy with the bass sound. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I I I, uh, I love it, and uh, hopefully everybody else will when uh, they finally hear the case. <laughs> well, it was actually like that was one of the first things that stuck out to me when when I turned on the song. I was like, and the face, it reminded me of like a better version of Steve Harris's tone, you know. And I was like, because right. it wasn't clacking all over the place, but it was up in your face, and you could hear every note. And I just thought that was something that, like you say. A lot of metal records, the bass is treated as a, as a frequency as opposed to an instrument. And uh, it was like it stuck out to me right away. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to notice that. I'm so glad that I uh, achieved it, you know. You know, it's weird. You go back and if you listen to, you know, hard rock and heavy metal from, you know, maybe like the late 70s, early 80s, bass is so much more prominent, but then somewhere along the line, um, just, I just started to get mixed lower and lower. And I, I just think that when, when bands started tuning down a lot, 
it made it hard to to get that face up front, you know, like when the it's good to like C or whatever, the lowest <laughs> yeah. frequency is like what twenty some hertz. How, how do you, how do you get that out of a speaker in any way? It's true, you know. Uh, it's, it's true. I mean, when you're tuning the guitar to like B or something, it's like where do you put the bass? You know, so it's. Um, So, Mike, you, you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, you've been at this for – this is a two-part question. You've been at this for a really long time. First, did you ever imagine you'd still be doing it? And second of all, what is it like having to sort of – I don't want to say reinvent, but start a newer project after being almost, like, defined by Symphony X for so long? Oh, excellent question. Yeah, you know, if somebody said to me uh, – if somebody said to me, like, at some point in the 1990s, you know, hey, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be known as a, a really popular bass player in the heavy metal world, and your band is going to be, uh, you know, uh, a really well-known band, and I would have probably thought you were nuts, you know. When I was, you know, I was a struggling musician in the 80s and, and the 90s, and, um, but, I, you know, I... There was a point where I thought I was going to make it when I was younger, but then as I started to get in my late 20s, early 30s, I, uh, I started to doubt it, and I just did it because I loved doing it. But uh, And then, boom, one day I was just in the right place at the right time. I was 33, and um, some guy just happened to know Symphony X, who I would hang out with at a local rock club, and then, boom, it just happened out of the blue. And... Um, so it was like an amazing thing for me, but uh, I'm still blown away that I, you know, I get to tour the world and do all this fun stuff. Right. Um, now the, the second part of the question, um, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> one of the biggest reasons I decided to do a solo project is because um, I really got pigeonholed and defined as a progressive metal bass player. And you know what? I really was never that. You know, when I when I I learned I learned how to play bass listening to uh, you know hard rock and heavy metal, and my style was really just like kind of bluesy, you know, seventies walking bass, and uh, you know mixed with like Steve Harris kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. um, the only progressive band that I ever listened to was Rush, you know, because I, I really liked Getty Lee, so I was just like a, a normal metal bass player, and when I joined Symphony X, I had to, uh, I really had to adapt to that kind of style of playing, and I, you know, I, I enjoyed it a lot, I loved it, and it made me uh, a better player on a technical uh, sense, but, 
I was, you know, kind of defined as that. And I felt like nobody really knew my roots and where it came from. So uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this project is to show people uh, the kind of music that I grew up on and that I was influenced by as a bass player. Gotcha. Hey, so let me ask you another question, sort of not Symphony X related, but you grew up in Jersey, is that correct? Yes, I did. So were you a Lamore? Did you go to Lamore a lot? Oh, yeah, I loved Lamore. I would, uh, you know, I would, in those days, I was working at, like, this warehouse, and I would make maybe $40 a week, and I would just spend it all at Lamore, you know? Because <laughs> I grew up on Long Island, and, yeah, I mean, we used to sneak in as kids, you know, when the drinking age was, like, 19, we had fake IDs and drive over there, and, I mean, that, that sort of defined who I was at that Lamore place. Yeah, that was, that was a place I'll never forget. I loved it there so much. There's a, I don't know if you pay much attention, but there's actually a Lamore face group going around, run by, um, what was his name, Kane, the DJ? Yes, and actually, yeah, I, uh, um, I, uh, I'm on that page too, and I, I always check it, and it's always great to see. Uh, yes. You know these, these old tickets or these old uh, videos. It just brings back so many great memories. I've got a. I ordered one of those uh, Lamore hoodies, and I wear it out every once in a while. And every once in a while, I'll be somewhere, and somebody'll be like, "Holy shit! I know that place." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's God. You saw so many bands. That it was incredible, and it was just. You know, it, I don't think there'll ever be another place like that again. No, that was pretty amazing. I'm, I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm way off topic, so I'm sorry, but I was just thinking the other day. I remember seeing Peter Steele in Carnivore there. Yes, um, you know, being from uh, the New York, New Jersey area, Carnivore, um, they got really popular, mm -hmm. and um, I, I saw them a few times, and uh, you know, it really was crazy. It was like. It was like kind of like Phantom Battle Wars. It was just sick. Yes, <laughs> it was great. Sorry, I got totally off topic, but when whenever I hear a New York, a New York, New Jersey accent, and you grew up there, I know you had to have gone to Lamar for sure. <laughs> oh, me, 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 being a Canadian living in DC, I was like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> it was like Chris, real quick. It was just like an old warehouse turned into a club, right? I mean, I guess it's the best way to explain it. Yeah. In a, in a really seedy part of Brooklyn. I mean, it was a pretty shitty area. And they got the best acts. I mean, I saw Metallica and Wasp. I've seen everybody. Venom. Yeah. Nice. I mean, literally everybody played there. And uh, I think I saw Maiden there. Maiden actually did play there. Um, I think I saw Maiden there. Yeah. They did play there once, I think, under a different name. Yeah, so it was just like the place to be. And then eventually they spread out and did like Lamore East and Lamore Far East, and then the whole thing went went down in like the late or mid-90s. But in the late 80s, early 90s, that was like the place to see everybody. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You see all these rock stars with their Lamore shirts, you know? <laughs> absolutely. I think it's the equivalent of the, it's like the East Coast Rainbow, right? Or the Troubadour? Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt. All right, sorry. I know we just got totally off track, but... <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning, so we're all good here. During this whole quarantine sort of lockdown thing, are you doing anything to engage with the fans out of the ordinary since you can't get out and do in-stores or any kind of uh, shows? Um, uh, the only thing I've been doing is 
you know, um, in preparation for um, in pre preparation for this album coming out, um, the record company has been asking me to make a lot of um, a lot of videos, and you know, for the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, that's something I never really did before, but um, you know, I'm I've been doing it now. I mean, that's really the only. Uh, the only kind of different thing I've been doing as far as uh, fan stuff, but um, other than that, I've just been kind of laying low. Gotcha. Chris? Yeah, it's such a strange time in history. I mean, we're all living it, and it seems, you know, sometimes you wake up and you forget that it's happening, and then you're like, oh, <laughs> this is going on. Yeah, yeah, you drive along, like, the highway where there's, you know, where, like, all the stores are, and then there's, like, no one in the parking lot, you know, and it's like, what, what is this, a movie? <laughs> I, I say that all the time, I think we're living in a movie. It feels like one of those uh, revolution or some sort of series or something where there's absolutely nobody out except me. Yeah, man, zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right. Living in, living in D.C., it's, it's crazy. Like, you, you couldn't drive on the road here between, like, 6 and 9 a.m. ever. Like, wow. <laughs> it's just, it's just wow. gridlock. Now, now you go out, and, like, you have, like, five-lane highways on both sides, and there's, like, two cars on it. It is the most surreal thing to see. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I can believe that. All right, so, Mike, getting back to the record here, is there a, a message or a takeaway you, you want your fans to walk away with after listening to uh, a Silent Assassin's record? Yes. Um, basically... I feel that um, I've always felt that heavy metal kind of kind of changed a little bit, and a lot of it is not the way I remember it. And what I'm trying to do is restore the heavy metal that I remember. Uh, I want I want my fans to react the same way that I did when I first opened up the Kill 'Em All album, or when I first heard the Killers album, that, you know, that, that feeling you get where, you know, you want to bang your head and you're like, wow, this is something so cool. Right. And uh, I feel that, you know, that feeling has kind of gotten lost and, uh, you know, metal has gotten kind of watered down and, and you know, uh, the keyboards are a little bit too loud these days. It's, they're overpowering the guitar. And, um, I just want to kind of get across the feeling that I had when I first listened to heavy metal, you know, where heavy metal is that guitar riff, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, just bringing everything back to where I kind of believe that it, it should be. Okay. You know, you know, it's funny that you say that because before we called you, Bruce is like, oh my God, the song is so good. And I was like, I know, it reminds me of like, Thrash meets the new wave of British heavy metal. And this is like, yes! <laughs> the stuff I grew up on. Yeah, and that's what you just said. I want people to know this. And I was just like, well, mission accomplished. Oh, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you know, I mean, <clears throat> heavy metal is, is, you know, for me, always was, you know, you hear that guitar riff and it gives you this adrenaline rush and you start banging your head and, you know, and it's, um, and it's raw, you know, it's in your face and it's real. You know, and uh, so, I mean, that's just what I've tried to do, and I'm just basically trying to uh, let fans 
here where I came from and my influences. Yeah. No, I, they come through loud and clear because I think we, we were probably ran in the same circles. We grew up right around the same time, and that's the first thing I picked up on. So, Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, um, and, you know, it's, it's weird because, you know, there's a lot of, like, younger metal fans that they don't even know who Ronnie James Dio is. Right. You know? And um, so, you know, maybe... Maybe they'll listen to this album or something, and and they'll, it'll spark some sort of interest in you know maybe uh, the beginnings of heavy metal, and they'll and they'll go back and they'll find some of these amazing artists, you know. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. So, where can fans pre-order the record? You can go to uh, Mike Lapon's SilentAssassins.com, and. Uh, that will give you all the pre-order information. It's all right there, real simple. Um, Mike Lapon, SilentAssassins.com. And uh, <clears throat> again, you know, the record comes out um, June 26th. And uh, I hope all you guys uh, will check it out and uh, give it a fair listen. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? Get down! The wrath of the buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The wrath of the buzzard. P-R-O-H files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.